Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. This is Zorina, your host at Heal and Learn and at the Grow and Learn podcast. Today, I'm bringing a guest that is uh, going to be riveted by all of you. Everybody wants to know how to manifest money. Everybody wants to know how to make it easier, be it if you're a well-educated trader as Richard Friesen, my guest today has been, uh, or if you're a housewife, I am sure that what you're going to learn today is going to help everyone. Hello, Richard. Hello, I'm so glad to be here, Zarina. I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I'm really impressed with the people and your interviewing. So I think we're going to have a very creative conversation. Wonderful. I'm excited. So, Richard, tell us a bit about your story so that people know a bit about your background. What I know is that you've worked for Merrill Lynch, you've created a few trading platforms, you're a patent creator for uh, trading um, what are the algorithms. This mm -hmm. is what I know about you. Well, that's a, a good start. So I started as a therapist and working with families and groups. And then I got an invitation to go to Chicago and be on one of the biggest change exchanges there, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I then worked for a large arbitrage firm, a very successful option stock and futures trading company, and then went on my own and built my own trading firm. And in that is where I learned about mindset and money. I can tell my own story about, it was April of 1995, I woke up and there was a voice. And this voice said, Rich, you're only worth 200,000 a year. To make a long story short, woke up, no one else was in the room, but it was an internal belief system that I had. And so I had been working very hard to build my own trading career, but I got stuck at that number for a three years, just stuck. And something happened that I was able to make a lot more money very fast. But that voice says I was only worth that amount. And so when I went on to build a trading firm, I hired traders and about a third of them would make a lot of money. A third of them would do okay. But a third with all the same opportunity, the same uh, training, the same uh, algorithms that we used, wouldn't make it or just would struggle. And I brought in a hypnotherapist. And what we discovered, there were some really core identity and belief issues that kept them from success. So then I thought, well, I had the dream in the middle of the night. I had that voice. Well, I have these traders that have these beliefs, belief systems. Now, how can we make those changes intentional rather than just accidental? And so that's how I came to write the book, A Private Conversation with Money. So when you called in the um, hypnotherapist, did you help with your neuro-linguistic knowledge or did you learn this post-factum? Post, post yeah, it was just a cooperative, ongoing, you know, like most things in a complex world, it's hard to assign a single thing, but... Uh, the hypnotherapist like discovered that one of the, the traders, his dad was an immigrant. He was a first generation here. His dad worked three jobs to put him in school, to train him and do all that. And that if he made more money than his dad, it would be disrespectful to all the hard work and sacrifices dad did. Now, I know you and I 
talking about this, you say, oh, that's irrational. But a lot of those beliefs we have around money are irrational. They are, especially in the U.S., we have a, a cultural divide around money, wealth, and meaning. You know, money is bad. Uh, social justice warriors uh, looking out for tax the wealthy. We have religious beliefs around the root of money is the root of all evil, that if you grew up like that, we have some families that you grew up where money just came and went and nobody saved it or took care of it. Other families, they were so tight that, you know, to try to get a penny out of dad was almost impossible. So you have all these beliefs that accumulated plus in our, our culture today. And it's no wonder that we don't have the energy. So the book and my main character, Joe, our job is to reframe money. And how I reframe it is a certificate of appreciation. In other words, Zarina, if you do something for me and deliver value to me, I give you, thank you, Zarina, here is my certificate of appreciation. So what you have done is delivered value to me, and I give you a certificate of appreciation. Now, oh, thank you so much. I take it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so here is what's really interesting. Honestly done and fairly done. The more certificates of appreciation that you collect, the more value you've delivered to your family, your the community, and the world. Now, there's a lot of value that you we all deliver to your family that has nothing to do with money. In the United States, I think of Martin Luther King and other people who had nothing to do with money, but delivered tremendous value to the world. But if you're in the commercial space or just part of your life, what a reframe to think about how can I deliver more value to the world and collect more certificates of appreciation? May I ask you something at this point, Richard, before we continue? When we receive it with our imagination this certificate of appreciation, mm -hmm. do we actually write it? Do we imagine it? Do we assign a monetary value to it? How should we see this certificate of appreciation? Oh, my goodness. Great question. I have an exercise that, although it's rare these days to work, give cash money or receive cash money, when you make an exchange and somebody gives you a certificate of appreciation, you thank you. Thank you for this certificate of appreciation for the value I've delivered to you. So you can do it internally, but even it's interesting to do that uh, uh, vocalize it, to actually say it. So what we're doing is we're reframing that belief and embedding it every time we have a monetary transaction. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what if we don't have a monetary transaction? Well, what then if it's we can... just What if it's done for the benefit of a family member or something like that? Sure. Well, then we're still talking about delivering value. I look at my wife now, we have six grandkids, and she delivers tremendous value to them that has nothing to do with money. Now, she spends too much on her grandkids between you and me, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that value is there and delivering value. So we can, if the core is delivering value, we can look at, at it, love, family, community, things that we do, cleaning up a uh, a river or a creek, you know, on a weekend with a bunch of other people, all sorts of things that deliver real value. 
But also, we I don't want to, I invite everyone to fully embrace the value we deliver commercially also. Because in terms of our the quality of our lives, I look at my life and it's just wonderful. People deliver tremendous amount of value to me and I deliver value to them. And as a result, I can expand my life and expand my experiences and, and invite my kids and grandkids to experiences that I think will enhance their life. Wow. Imagine, Serena, imagine if tomorrow morning, everyone in the world woke up and said, huh, how can I deliver more value to my family, to my community, to my employers, my employees, my consultants, uh, everyone I deal with? How can I make more value? What the world would be like tomorrow? Oh, my gosh. Let's backtrack a little bit to, to the story of 85 when you brought this uh, hypnotherapist to your uh, company. Mm -hmm. Was this one of the questions that they asked your employee with the, with the problem or with the, not the problem, with the mindset that you just shared that he was not able to make more than his dad? Right. How, how did he address this question? Was the, oh, it, was the it, was, it, was, it was a she. Uh, and yeah. the... And well, I'll just go through what I have learned from that and what I do now. So okay. if let's say you were a client and I would ask you your current situation and what I would do is pay attention to your face, your muscular, your breathing, your tilt of your head. And I would notice it like with a client yesterday, you know, all of a sudden his lips got tight when he was talking about his heritage, his family's farm and all that. He, and I would say, okay, exaggerate that. Exaggerate your lips. What else do you notice? Oh, my chest is tight. Exaggerate that. How old do you feel? What is going on? And then physiology is, is honesty. In other words, our physiology as an expression of what is going on in our internal conflicts is honest. Whereas our language, we have so fooled ourselves and avoided uh, some trauma, or we've avoided the things we've quarantined, that we just repeat stories oftentimes. And sometimes getting down through those layers is more difficult. So what I do is uh, work primarily with physiology to determine where those internal conflicts are. Or when somebody uses language, well, I try, I should, uh, I need more willpower, I need to discipline. Well, that tells me there's an internal conflict anytime we need to try. So we explore those languages and those words. And oftentimes what I do is I'll say, could I talk to that part of yourself that's trying so hard? And the person will go, huh? <laughs> no, that part of yourself. If you were to give it a name that works so hard and is frustrated, what would you name it? Oh, uh, I'd name it trying hard. Okay. Look, can I have a conversation with trying hard? Uh, okay. Well, hello, trying hard. Bob's just given me permission to talk to you. And with the understanding, I believe you have a positive intent for Bob. And there you have goodwill for him. Can we have a conversation? So trying hard, we'll say, oh, I guess so. Well, trying hard, when did you come to Bob? What do you do for him? And I'll start a conversation with this part. And soon we will get down to its positive intent. And oftentimes that positive intent comes from a time when we were much younger we didn't have many options in our life. And so that was one of the few options we had, whatever that uh, behavior was. 
And that behavior then remains as we grow up. And so once we are aware of it, we can appreciate it. We don't give it judgments. We can listen to it. Then we can start to negotiate. Now that we're adults, we're in our power, we have some more choices and what would we like to do? I have personally my, um, read and, and done exercises on NLP. I think I've even taken certification courses, but that was long ago. I didn't finish them. <laughs> so I, I know that NLP works, yet it takes, I don't know, at least 21 days for the subconsciousness to be able to accept to, so that it sinks in the, sub, in the subconsciousness. How long does it normally take you when you work with clients to shift this underlying blockage or perception of, of their money reality that they have? Yeah, that depends on the age of the trauma or the age of the belief system. Like a client yesterday, it was, oh my God, I didn't realize I had that voice, that belief. So he had tied uh, his heritage, the family farm and everything to his current behaviors, uh, totally unaware. So kaboom. And other times, uh, trauma is pretty deep, and we just sand away, and we work, and in a safe space, people can start to realize and explore their awareness of it. They can start to accept that that trauma or that belief or those behaviors were created as the best choice they have, so there's no judgment. And then we can say, okay, what would you like and how would you like to move forward? And sometimes that will take a considerable amount of time. And what are your, some of the results that you've seen either in your business after you've started applying your linguistic programming or in your clients' businesses? How have their lives changed? Yeah, I, I have over 100 testimonials. And the life changes sometimes just a little bit. Sometimes there are a new way of viewing things. For example, the concept in my book of a private conversation with money, just having money rethought as a, as a certificate of appreciation, boom, all of a sudden, rather than tying money to wealth and evil people and uh, unfairness and injustice, and I'll become a bad person if I get rich and or I will uh, lose my my friends you know if I make more money there's all these things that are just tied up together and once sometimes just considering oh hmm it's a certificate of appreciation wow I'm delivering value to other people boom you know that can sh shift and change overnight and for others who are steeped in guilt, unworthiness. I don't deserve to walk on the earth. There are people with those core feelings that when they were younger, were never fully accepted and never fully given the expression. And like one way of phrasing is to be a child of God, they were never given that sense. And so when you can say certificates of appreciation all day long, repeat it. And if there's that feeling of unworthiness that is at the deepest levels, well, then we need to drop down there. And I have some exercises that start to unravel that. 
would it be the right platform to reveal or at least to share one exercise maybe and how it can be done? Sure. So if, if I'm looking at unworthiness, one of the exercises I do, and I'm going to describe this in just a couple of minutes, but this is an exercise that takes, you know, one hour, two hours or several sessions, mm -hmm. but I'll have them describe where they were born, the city, the time, the date, go back to the hospital as an adult to the time they were born and look at the row of babies in this little bassinets. You know, so they're in the they're these are just born babies, one to three days old in the hospital. There's 10 of them in a row. And I'll ask them, are they number one through 10? Which one are they? And they'll say number six. Of all these babies there, is any one of them undeserving to stand on this earth, stand tall, have a right to be? Is any one of these children, any one of these babies, as they grow up, unworthy to be a human on this earth? And the answer is, obviously, they'll look at all these babies, innocent, beautiful little babies, and they'll say, no. What about number six? Pause. Oh, my. Um, no. Then I'll have them go in, pick up the baby, and start to reconnect with this purest form of themselves that is absolutely beautiful with no sin, no transgressions, no internal conflicts, and I'll have them rebond with that baby. And then we'll start from that position. And this takes some time to grow up through all the traumas or difficulties of their life from the position that they are a child of God in the sense that they're just a beautiful human being and have the right to walk on this earth, shoulders back and head tall. Wow. Amazing. It's it's uh I I can feel the how should I even describe it the the transformative power of this exercise. Mm -hmm. So yeah. where in your body do you feel it? Where how do you notice it? Uh, warmth in my heart, I guess. Increased yeah. heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, warmth in your heart. Oh my gosh! And and we just described it. So imagine going through that. The, how it, that can shift your physiology, your breathing, your stance, your posture, and it can be transformative. Of course, we still have all these old neural connections, and so we get easily triggered back into them. But once we've experienced that for an hour, there's no reason we can't experience it for a day, a week, a month, or a year. Mm -hmm. All right. So you help now um, business clients or personal clients with their businesses. Who do you work with? I work with active uh, professional money managers, traders, entrepreneurs, and people who are struggling financially. We have just a lot of free things on our site and blogs, and we have an online course. And, and the book, for example, has an online course. And if they go to conversations.money and that is slash what I've I'll oh, I forget what that is. What did I do? Let me pull it up. See if I can find yeah. it quickly. Um, yeah I did it here. Conversations.money forward slash wealth. Uh, yeah that's one they can go to but I think I 
also had another one, but I'll think about it in just a bit. Oh, it's grow slash grow. Yeah. Conversations.money slash grow. That is your personal website. And from there, they can get the free online course with a book. So what I want to do is to spread the experience of rapport with money and wealth and meaning. So by having the free online course and having the book, almost everybody can join in and have that experience. This is wonderful, but I have one more question before we um, finish this conversation. I mean, we can go on for a very long time, but you have so much available resource for free where people can try out and experience on their own. I have this question, Richard. Now there's a talk and it's uh, obviously rapidly developing. The economic situation is worsening everywhere. And there's a tremendous crash expected in the entire system, possibly even a further collapse, not only of the economic system. How, how does this knowledge that you're teaching now apply in a possible new situation? Yeah, so if we look at, rather than making money, delivering value, then we can say, how can I... F and if we also look at our own confidence and our ability to manage the unknown, the uncertainties of life, and we are the core value, the core drive is delivering value, then if the economic world starts to fall apart, we can say, okay, where can I deliver value now? Oh, I can deliver value. You can be creative on how and how you do that. And I think what you're bringing up is there are, if we do an, a scenarios, you know, you create multiple scenarios, uh, there's a chance that we're going to see some real volatility. We have pension funds that are un underfunded states, locals, municipalities, countries. Everyone is, there's a huge amount of debt. There's uh, all sorts of expectations around social security, socialized medicine, Medicare in the United States, Medicaid, that literally mathematically cannot be delivered. I mean, it's just, you, you can pretend it, 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 you know, it's all gonna be all right. And certainly we're gonna be creative and we're gonna try to figure things out and there's no linear path to destruction. But nevertheless, if we can say, okay, what are my skills? What skills do I need? What knowledge do I need? How can I deliver value? Then all of a sudden, your attitude towards these ch potential changes uh, creates a lot more confidence and creativity as versus somebody who's fearful goes, oh my God, it's falling apart. Oh my God, this is going to be terrible. And you can see my posture, you know, we're tightening down. There's a lot less creativity. Yeah, that's exactly what I was reading today, that people are starting to perform worse because of the fear of potentially losing their jobs. And yeah. that's actually having a terrible impact on productivity and mental health. It's, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to be healthy, you know, again, is there's a confidence that we can handle the unknown. And if we look at some of our younger people, you know, like my grandparents uh, were in the Depression. They had a farm in Canada and in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and the Dust Bowl and the Depression, they moved east. My grandpa worked three jobs, to, and my dad reports having large sandwiches for dinner. I just, 
you know, horrible. And they were resilient. And man, if you weren't, you were eliminated. So, and then my dad grew up in that and just, he went the other way, struggling so hard to try to make it. Uh, and then I look at myself and I have still some depression era mentality around saving money, preparing for the worst. But I look at my kids and my grandkids, their life has been so easy. Do they have resilience? And I don't know the answer to that. But my concern is there's enough people. And I look at some of the, the just the riots in the U.S. and across the world. You look at France um, raising the uh, retirement age. Oh, my gosh. So we could have an emotional contagion. And in that, if we say, okay, I'm okay, I can handle this, I have resilience, you're going to do a lot better than the people who are just uh, impacted by the emotional contagion and are lose, and the fear then drives out the creativity. Mm-hmm. Is there a shortcut to gaining emotional resilience? <clears throat> oh, boy. That is a really hard question, but it is the right hard question. And emotional resilience usually is built from a young age on. There's there's the, the growth mindset and a fixed mindset. The growth mindset is you are given challenges that are just beyond your capability, and sometimes you stretch to make them. And after a while, you say, oh, a challenge huh, I've solved the last three challenges, or I didn't solve two of them, but I solved four of them. I'm going to go at this and see what I can do. Whereas versus somebody who hasn't been given those challenges and hasn't learned how to manage challenges, then they hit a challenge, bang, they hit a wall. You know, if they've told they're wonderful, they're beautiful, they're smart and everything, and then all of a sudden they go to college, bang, and everybody's that. You know, and and all of a sudden they have hard challenges, then they just collapse. So I think that uh, the answer to your question is it's not an easy answer. And you can practice it by giving yourself small challenges and just increase the challenge, increase and practice so that you say, wow, you know, six months ago, the challenge of XYZ was just too hard. And then I did X, Y, Z, and then I did the next one, the next one. So just practice. And uh, and I think that that history, that experience of successful challenges will be, make the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, does it matter which area the, the challenge is on? Like, for example, if I would like to increase my income, if I'm challenged by a physical routine, does this count? Is there a cross-pollination between activities? Oh, my gosh. That is an excellent observation. And the answer is yes. Like, for example, one of my clients uh, has some problems in uh, his work, his job, and being aggressive enough. And one of his issues is he doesn't run or do his exercises in the morning. So I say, said, okay, so all you have to do is put your running shoes next to you. That's it. You don't have to run. You don't have to exercise. Can you do that? Oh, sure. I can do that if I don't have to run. Okay, so the next day, can you put those shoes on? Yeah. And the next day, can you just walk outside 
and notice how the temperature is and dress appropriately. Yeah, I can do that. So we just create successive successes. Uh, for example, <clears throat> I used to have a bad back and it, and even tying my shoes was hard. And about three, four years ago, I started doing some uh, stretches and exercises. And now I, I started just with cat stretches, you know, just where you're just stretching your back up and down. That's all. That's easy. And that feels good. And now I can do a half an hour routine. And if if I'm not even thinking about it, my feet take me to my exercise place, put out the mat and start doing them. And even if I'm not even consciously aware of it. So we can start building those successes. And what you pointed out, which is really important, is they successes in one area create the mental ability to create successes in other areas. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Richard. Is there anything else that you would like to share that is really important for this conversation? We know kind of where you want to take it next, but what have we missed? Yeah, if uh, I leave you with one thing, it's the golden keys. And the golden keys are first awareness, awareness of our physiology. Like I asked you earlier, you know, what are you physically, what, what experience are you having physically? And if we can do that, like right now, I notice, oh, I'm, I'm moving a little fast. My chest is all tight. Okay. Ah, oh, next emotions. What am I feeling right now? Really, I'm feeling connected to you, Zarina. I'm feeling uh, really nice about this conversation. You asked hard questions, but important hard questions. Wow, that really feels good. The quality of my thoughts. Well, right now I'm talking, so it's hard to measure, but I can look at, am I being judgmental? No. Right now, my quality of my thoughts are, are pretty pleasant. So awareness, sensations, emotions, thoughts, then acceptance. Whatever I discover about myself is okay. In other words, if I think, if I have a critical thought and I say, oh, you're having a critical thought, you bad boy. <laughs> you can say, oh, interesting, I'm having a critical thought. And then so once we have the awareness and the acceptance, then we can say, what would I prefer? What would I like now? This is regarding any situation we find ourselves in, or do we ask yeah. ourselves this question all the time? It's kind of hard to observe yourself all the time. Well, this when is do the we ask this question. Yeah. Uh, this is an exercise that I teach my clients, and it's also in the, the book and the book course, is that you set an alarm. And for some people, maybe every five minutes, 10 minutes, hour, alarm goes off. And I just say, oh, what are my physical sensations? Oh, my chest is tight. My shoulders are tight. Okay. What are our emotions? I'm feeling frustrated. I'm angry at my uh, boss. I'm whatever they are. And just notice them. And then, ah, oh, okay, that's all right. Rich is feeling uh, tightness in his chest. He's angry at his boss and his thoughts are self-critical for screwing up. And we accept them. So awareness, acceptance, and then uh, what do we want? So the, the question can be answered by setting an alarm and doing this exercise. And what happens is after you do this exercise, let's say every half hour for a week, then you start just doing it naturally. 
what am I aware of? I can accept it. What do I want now? That's a great exercise. I've actually done something similar, which was the, again, the, the observation of the posture. Um, and this uh, gives an immediate result to the outlook you have on life, just standing up straight and breathing at peace, similar to what you're saying, just observing your posture changes things greatly. Indeed. Yeah. Thank you so much, Richard, for this enlightening conversation. Once again, let's uh, direct people to the website where they can get to your course and to your book. Sure. Conversations.money slash grow, G-R-O-W. And that's just for your listeners. You go there and there will be a coupon for the free online course and how to get the book and uh, how to contact us if you have any other information. And there's just a lot of free content on the site. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.